She remembers the sound of the oxygen machine, the longing for the suffering to end, but at the same time, wanting more time. And now, a couple of years since the death of her mom, in those unguarded moments with her children, in the car, even at the grocery store, flashes of memory will catch her, and she'll recall how her mother told her to get the Vidalia onions. Our guest today is inviting us to consider death. Even if you don't have to right now, she writes, odds are you will soon. Someone you love is aging in a way that startles you every time you see them. Someone you know is sick or dying. Perhaps your own bedside vigil has begun. Someone you care about, maybe it's you, is deeply afraid of not having enough time, not having enough answers, not being enough in the end. I want you to hear Whitney's story and tell me if you resonate with it. We'll meet her today at the Radio Backyard Fence. This is Chris Fabry Live. How are you doing today? Hope you're well on this Wednesday in February. We thank our team, Ryan McConaughey, doing all things technical. Trish is our producer. Gabby T is in the chair today. Laura will be answering your calls. And I want to thank Lisa. She's a partner with us as of yesterday, and she sent me an email. That means as a partner, she is giving a gift each month to this program, and she's going to get my back fence post tomorrow which is a video that we put together. Ryan does all the hard, heavy lifting (laughs) with the video. But I'm told by people who get it that it's pretty encouraging as we pull back the curtain and give a little bit of what happens behind the scenes. You may not know this program is listener-supported. We depend, I tell you every day, but it can go by pretty fast. We depend on your help each month. And more than half of our monthly support comes from partners like Lisa, who said this, I want to support this program because... Chris has been encouraging in my life. I don't miss a day. His program is important to me because of his insight, his guests. He makes me look inside myself with questions, he asks. That is so encouraging. Thank you, Lisa. And then she says, I'm a better person due to his program and his faithfulness. My walk with God is so much closer. Uh, And I read that to you because Lisa is part of bringing today's conversation to somebody who needs it and might not even know that they need it. So if you can give a gift, support us monthly, or give a one-time gift in February, reach out today. Easiest way to do that is go to the website, chrisfabrylive.org, F-A-B-R-Y, chrisfabrylive.org, or call 866-95-FABRY. You can give that way, 866-953-2279. Thanks for your friendship and partnership at the back fence. I think today's guest has one of the best names I've ever heard. Now, I like there's different guests that we have. One is Thabiti Anyabwile. How could you not love a name that just rolls off the tongue like Thabiti Anyabwile? But today's guest has a name that almost sounds like it came from a novel by Charles Dickens. See if you agree. Whitney Pipkin. And maybe it's that in the, what was it, in the ninth grade, I read Great Expectations that Pip was part of it. Whitney K. Pipkin lives with her husband, three children, and a dog named Honeybun in Northern Virginia. She works as a journalist. She's been a journalist 13 years, written for the Washington Post, National Geographic, NPR. She, her regular day job is with the Chesapeake Bay Journal, and she just got back from Richmond, where she went this morning on a trip down there and came back to talk with you and me. 
She's written for Christian publications like the Gospel Coalition, the ERLC, Gospel-Centered Discipleship, and serves as the written content coordinator for the ministry Women and Work. Her book that we're going to talk about today is really special, We Shall All Be Changed, How Facing Death with Loved Ones Transforms Us. Whitney, how in the world are you doing today? I'm good. I'm tired in a good way. <laughs> well, it's I'm going to ask you so many questions because you write so well about this experience of your mom. Uh, you dedicated the book, In Memory of Mom, The Woman Who Always Knew I Could Do Hard Things But Never Wanted Me to Have To. This one's for you. Tell me about your mom. My, uh, my mom uh, was a powerhouse of a woman. She battled cancer longer than anyone else I know, actually, 20 years and all, and just had a lot of life. Uh, she milked a full life out of out of her 63 years, um, and she was a an advocate, an encourager. I was thinking today, Chris, that if she were here, she would definitely try to be the first call-in yes. just to, you know, be my biggest cheerleader. And uh, she used to comment on my articles when I was a new reporter. <laughs> I had to say, Mom, you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to say, this is the best writer ever in the comments. Like, it's embarrassing and it's not ethical. So if you could stop doing that. <laughs> but she just cheered for us so hard and for everyone who knew her. She was in their corner um, and just a full, full of life person. Yeah. I was thinking about that, that after you get off the program today, you know, if she could hear it online or where wherever she was living at the time, if there's not a station... She would probably call you and say, oh, I like this. And, you know, when the person said this, you know, the phone caller said this, et cetera. But you can't do that, can you? Yeah. No, I mean, that's what's interesting about uh, grief is you have to retrain your thumbs not to call your mom. I mean, it's so there's so many moments in life where you think, I got to tell mom. (laughs) I mean, there's been moments with writing a book about her death where I think I got to tell mom about this. And it's really, uh, you know, it gets more real over time, but you never get used to not being able to call mom on this life, I think. You were in the seventh grade when her breast cancer, when she told you this, right? How'd you respond? Uh, I, I, I tell the scene in my book because it is a scene I remember. Uh, you know, my parents were divorced and so there was a fear of, well, where will we live and what will happen? This would just turn all all of our lives upside down if something happened to her. And I remember sensing maybe for the first time that my mom was afraid, like just kind of smelling fear. And, you know, as a kid, you have your kid fears, which are your first sleepover, uh, things in the closet, but smelling adult fear that there was this primal kind of feeling coming off of her that this was out of her control. And this was something that she couldn't protect us from. Um, And so just sharing that emotion with my mom from a young age, understanding not only, you know, you learn your parents are fallible, but I learned that they're mortal too. Uh, And that's something that I had to learn. Looking back, I I was living with that reality in various ways over the course of my life. Did she try to hide that from you? The fact that she, I mean, she couldn't. Well, she did. In some ways, I mean, she was, it's hard to say, Chris, honestly, if she was naturally tough or if that was mostly for us, for my sister and I, 
That is the way a lot of people would describe her. I mean, she made it through clinical trials where people didn't finish them because the side effects were so intense. That was kind of later on. Um, I remember she was on chemo immediately when I was in middle school. She lost her hair and she was determined not to get sick. Like not, yeah, not to uh, have her stomach get upset. And she would just lay very still. And I remember just not wanting to rock the boat, but wanting to comfort her, but not knowing, you know, as a kid, how close can I get? (laughs) Um, Am I going to hurt her? Just kind of those those memories of my mom being fragile. Um, But then knowing that that was very rare, that the minute she felt a little bit better, she was up and doing everything, working full time, caring for us. Uh, She just, there wasn't much that could keep her down for very long. She ran uh, 10K races. She's very athletic and very vibrant, you know, all through throughout her life, even after the, the diagnosis, right? Yeah, she... I mean, she was stubborn too. <laughs> so there was, it's been interesting to grapple with my own kind of aging because I didn't really see a normal aging process in her. She was 41 when she was diagnosed and then she had chemo and then, you know, bo- your bones are affected by chemo. So she would have a hip fracture and things like that that were not normal and that she pushed through. Um, but I've I've been trying to think, what does it look like to do this gracefully, um, just aging. And I don't know how she managed to go through cancer. Uh, I don't know if gracefully is the right word or even the goal, but she endured well. Um, and she really pushed for joy, um, and, and really wanted to live, wanted to be here, uh, in, in ways that are unique to her personality in a lot of ways. It almost sounds like there was a radiance in the middle of the pallor. <laughs> there was mm-hmm. this glow in the middle of the the toll that the disease took. And there is a review of your book. There's a blurb. Uh, and I, I read blurbs. And, and, you know, sometimes blurbs are are a little uh, flowery and, and say a little too much. You know, there's no way that this book could do that. Lydia Brownback writes, no resource has provided more comfort and clearer insight into my own battle with grief than we shall all be changed. And that's the book that Whitney Pipkin has written today. It's our featured resource. If you go to chrisfabrylive.org, click through today's information, you'll see it right there as a link to it. But this is a book that will, if you are on that journey right now, in the middle of that journey, this will be a, uh, I'll say a lifesaver. This will be a, a life preserver that is thrown out from a hurting heart to yours in the middle of the storm. Or if you know somebody who is walking through this or has recently walked through this, my guess is it's going to really, really help. We shall all be changed. How facing death with loved ones transformed uh, transforms us. Go to chrisfabrylive.org. More with Whitney straight ahead. We Shall All Be Changed is our featured resource by Whitney Pipkin. You can find out more about it at chrisfabrylive.org. And maybe it hits such a deep resonant. uh, I'm, I'm sensing this is 
something that will help you because it's helping me. <laughs> and I told Whitney before the program, you know, the, the own loss that, uh, that I've been through in, in the last couple of years. And I think part of, one of the best things about the book is that you don't gild the lily. You don't say, you say the brutal, honest truth. And you don't tell us everything. But in your journal, for example, you say that you remember how tough our relationship was at times. And so I want to ask you, you know, if you're three years out from her death, how important is it to see what really happened between you as you grieve and not make her someone she really... See the totality of who she was. Yeah, I think, first of all, it's really important for how we relate to others who are in a different season. That is why I was honest, <laughs> is because I I remember people telling me I would kind of complain about my mom visiting too much um, in a, inconvenient times for me and my family. And they would say, well, she has cancer. You should be grateful for every minute you get with her. And I, they just didn't seem to understand the both and of what it's like to do the marathon of cancer for 20 years. Um, yes, she has cancer, but also we are playing the long game here. And there were times where, you know, it was just really hard for that to be the elephant in the room all the time. There were times where there was other things going on in my life that I kind of wanted to be primary for a minute or um, other other griefs, other joys uh, that would felt like they were hard to give attention to because of this big thing going on all the time. So it made our relationship really, really tricky. Um, but I think honestly, part of the glory of acknowledging what was hard is that I also got to see the unique ways in which it was redeemed over time. The ways that, you know, my mom clung really tightly to my sister and I and to this life and to her grandkids. She wanted to be here for us and with us so badly that she was, you know, would move heaven and earth. And uh, I saw near the end, there was a time when she wanted to visit and it didn't work for me. And I, it was October, she died in November. And I said, mom, I'm so sorry. That weekend just doesn't work for me. And usually she would say, well, make it work. I, you know, I need it to work. That's when I need this visit so I can have courage for my next appointment. And uh, instead she said, uh, okay, what would work for you? And and I, I held the phone away from my ear. I was like, is this really still my mom? Um, and a friend later said, you know, that was, she was beginning her kind of spiritual healing, this process of letting go of this earth and of the things she clung to so tightly in it and reaching for the next. And so I got to, I mean, that memory, that feeling of my mom letting go and yet feeling loved because she was seeing me for who I was she was not forcing me to be who she wanted me to be. Um, that moment of beauty was was worth waiting and praying and hoping and losing hope for it over over all those years. Uh, it wouldn't have come so. if you hadn't been honest with her about the, the the schedule, though, right? Yeah, right. I mean, we've all been in relationships where you know guilt is you. It's kind of a trope that your mom guilt trips you, right? But. Uh, and and it can be hard. You can you you talk to your husband. You talk to somebody. And they say, "Well, just say this," and then you go and you just say this, and it doesn't work. And you still find out, oh, I'm still doing the thing I said I didn't want to do. I said I wouldn't do. Uh, and you do that for enough years, and you you kind of give up. Uh, and it's so good that 
that God doesn't and that he gave me endurance for different seasons. He gave me seasons of rest. And the biggest thing he gave me was, you know, I didn't live in the same state as my mom. And he gave me a community of people here that were there for me and that could acknowledge my trial separately from my mom's and could see the ways that it was affecting me and my family over those years. And they kind of let me sometimes be not okay in a different way or have a different experience than what my mom had. I talk in the book about it being a Venn diagram, you know, of her suffering and mine. And sometimes they overlapped. Sometimes we were having a similar emotional experience, but sometimes we weren't. And that is where the conflict comes from is, oh, you think this last appointment was good news. I feel like it was bad news, but I can't talk to you about that for now. I'm going to, but I have other people who can be there for me in a unique way. Yeah. So loving and protecting at the same time, but still being able to feel what you feel. Do you know that there are people who would have heard you, what you just said about, you know, October, it doesn't work for us. And she died in November who are saying, you bad daughter, you should have told you all that. And and the judgment then flows. At the time, you didn't know. Um, well, she it, did come like a week later than yeah. that. <laughs> she, did, yes. we, she, did, she shouldn't have. Her blood count was so low. She should not have gotten on an airplane. This was 2020, peak COVID. But she did, and she came, and she brought my daughter a fairy house that she had built for her. And that's that was what I she saw. was determined. <laughs> I saw that. I think <laughs> it was on Instagram. It was this, and it and she had she had put it together or had it made for your daughter. Describe this. So carpentry was something she picked up in her last decade or so of life, and it was something her dad had done. It was a way of connecting with his memory, and she just had all these little hobbies, and she would make it out of meaningful pieces of wood. So that was out of my grandmother's fence that she had taken down. And she saved the wood and made this fairy house. And she, I just loved, you know, this creativity. My grandmother, my mom's mom is an artist. And actually the cover of the book is my grandmother's painting, uh, which is so tender and sweet to me uh, that they put that on the cover. But so my mom would always talk about, well, I'm not creative like your grandma. Um, But to see the ways in that season of her life that creativity just poured out of her through interacting with with her grandkids largely, you know, making these fairy houses and just um, finding these new versions of herself. It's it's just been really sweet to get to know her. I don't know, Chris, if you've had this experience, but once someone is not here, especially a parent, you, you really only saw them as your parent when they were here. Um, but to get to know her as a human in her absence, like from the raw materials of her life, uh, whether that's looking through her journals or letters um, or photos or or touching and seeing the things she created, uh, I get to see this other part of her that I guess my perspective was so limited relating to her as her daughter. And now I just appreciate her in a different way. We had a caller the other day who said, uh, this was last Friday, we were talking about when you didn't give up. And she had had a, a, an argument with her mom that morning. And she said, my first thing as a daughter, I just try, I get out of the room, I run, I don't, you know, I don't like conflict and I don't like conflict with my mom. But she said, for some reason I stuck in there, I hung in there. And the upshot of it was, she said, for the first time I saw my mom and I think she saw me. And in the middle of the conflict, she said, at the end, there was this resolution 
where they, you know, they cried and they hugged and there was this connection. And it was all because she didn't do what made her more comfortable, which is getting out of there. Uh, and it sounds like that is kind of the process that you've gone through in, in writing this about your mom. Yeah. I mean, it is, I say this, I think early on in the book that I'm the, like the last person to write or preach at anybody about sticking around for medical or death processes, uh, or for them being valuable. I was, when we were younger, I was like, I'll be in the hall while the needles are happening. I cannot do this. This is not my gift. I don't want to be here for this part. And so I can say with all confidence that it was only by God's uh, empowering spirit that I was able to be in the room during my mom's last week and to want to be there and to have care pouring out of me for her was God's work in me uh, and through me. And I'm also thinking of another time when we had that moment like what you're talking about, where I stuck in for the, because I also don't like conflict. I would rather, I'm a peacemaker. I'm your typical oldest daughter. What can I do to make this go smoothly? And my mom and I were talking and she was at a season, this was after her visit in October. And she had ascites, um, which is like fluid buildup in your abdomen, which is a end stage uh, symptom of cancer. And, but we were talking about it like it was no big deal. I mean, she was talking about it like Oh, yeah, that's fine. Just don't look over here. <laughs> Let's not talk about that. <laughs> and so I got the courage uh, through some counselors um, to say, Mom, I, I can I say something? Like, I don't want to tip your boat or what you're doing to cope and to, to keep fighting. And if that's the narrative you want to have, that's fine. But can I have my own? And can I run it by you? Can I tell you what I'm feeling? And I told her that, you know, I'm feeling like you're dying. <laughs> Is that and I feel like I'm going to show up at Thanksgiving and I'm supposed to just be happy and enjoy time with you. But that's going to be really hard for me because I'm just really sad because I have this anticipatory grief. I have this feeling of what's coming in my spirit and I can't ignore it. And she said, I'm, I'm so sorry. Um, that must be hard for you. And that was that moment for me of feeling wow. so seen and so loved because this person who, you know, at times rightly had made it about her. Because she was the sufferer. She was the one going through it. But as my mom, to have her see me and say, this is this, I see how this is hard for you in a unique way. Um, I see how you're navigating this and dealing with it and just leaving space for that. So that's a conversation I did not want to have. I did not have hope that it would go well. And yet, um, by God's grace and his work in her heart near the end, it did go well. And I felt very loved in that conversation. The title of the book is We Shall All Be Changed. It's from 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. How Facing Death with Loved Ones Transforms Us. It's our featured resource. If you don't need it now, you're going to, I I guarantee you. Because here's what Whitney has done. Whitney Pipkin is our guest. And she has called, there were so many different quotes from different people. And we're going to bring up Walt Wongren here in a little bit. But there are so many books. You even quoted Joe Bailey. And I remember Joe Bailey's uh, having, a, I think we had him on the program that I was doing uh, back, back when, before he died, obviously. But he had lost three children um, and wrote the view from a hearse. So you have all this wealth of quotations and walking through 
death and dying and struggle that you have culled here in a literary way. I can't say enough good about it. But the question before we take a break, is there anything you wrote in here that you can say now that you couldn't have said if your mom could read it and edit it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, my mom was an English major, uh, so I get some something from her. I'm sure she would have opinions. Let's see. Uh, she didn't really want people to think of her as sick ever. So I think those, those pictures, uh, those, the way I describe, uh, the body breaking down are, would be hard for her to know are out there to some degree. And, and yet I think I could talk to her and convince her that the spiritual value is worth it. Um, to be able to prepare people to care well for their loved ones, um, I think she would be on board for the ministry value of that that aspect of the book. But uh, she did not like people thinking of her as a sick person, uh, and so that would be hard for her. Okay, so here's a question I want to ask you as you listen today. This person who is no longer with us, what is the unguarded moment that you have in the middle of something else that you're doing and you you haven't been thinking about your mom or your dad or your husband or your wife and boom, it just comes back to you and hits you. For Whitney, it was in the grocery store and Vidalia onions. I'm going to ask you about that when we come back from a break, Whitney. Go to the website, chrisfabrylive.org. You'll see our featured resource today. We shall all be changed. How Facing Death with Loved Ones Transforms Us. Go to chrisfabrylive.org. I want you to call me now. Is is Whitney on to something here? conversation today is one of life and death and finding life in the middle of the struggle. And that happens every day with CareNet. When they talk with a woman who's going through an unplanned pregnancy, who's considering abortion. If you go to chrisfabrylive.org, click the green CareNet button. They have some really encouraging news about what's going on with their ministry and in the lives of women and men who are making courageous choices for life. There's a free booklet they have, Is the Pro-Choice Position Consistent with the Life and Teachings of Jesus? It uses sound biblical arguments like the Great Commandment, the Great Commission, the Story of the Good Samaritan, to make the case for life for Christians who consider themselves pro-choice. And there may be those in your sphere who hold that. Uh, Maybe that's you, somebody you know. Go to chrisfabrylive.org, click CareNet, And you'll find that free download when you click free resources at that, uh, at the tab at the top. Again, click the green CareNet button at chrisfabrylive.org. Whitney Pipkin is joining us today. She's written a really, uh, what should I say? Deep, moving, honest book called We Shall All Be Changed, How Facing Death with Loved Ones Transforms Us. And I mentioned uh, this, you know, unguarded moment when you, I think it was Frank DeFord, I mention this every time we, we talk about death and dying, but his little daughter died of cystic fibrosis. And he said for him, it was the bus. He would see a school bus 
and he would think about Alex and how she never got to go to school the way that she wanted to. And all of those kids who were in the same grade as her, who were graduating now or going to college, or and so it was just this yellow school bus. Uh, for me, it's javelina. There's a, a desert animal called a javelina. It looks like kind of a, a hog, a warthog. And I would tell my mother stories about the javelina that would roam in the backyard. And just about every time I talked with her, she'd say, now, what's the name of that that animal that's in your backyard? And I was javelina. Oh, that's right, javelina. For you, one of the little things that came to your memory is Vidalia onions. Tell me about that. My, my mom insisted, she was just very particular about some things like this. And it's funny because she used them for guacamole. It was And I, she did, my mom was not like an immaculate cook. She cooked on Thanksgiving and Christmas mostly. Other than that, not a lot of cooking. But she made good guacamole. And so when I graduated college and got married... The only thing I knew how to make was guacamole, um, and I ended up, you know, making that for dinner one night because I realized, oh no, I've been unprepared. Uh, but I remember, you know, she would send me the store and say, "Get the Vidalias, get the sweet ones," because um, she thought that the other ones were too oniony. I don't know, but she loved <laughs> the Vidalias, and so I remember going to. I was at Costco, which is this, you know, warehouse feeling. It's a very inconvenient place to get suddenly emotional. Uh, standing there, you know, you, grief is like just so inconvenient. Right. And so you're standing there with your hands on the onions and then you're just standing there Mm -hmm. and you're crying and people are just walking by and they don't realize they don't know that anything significant is going on in your heart and mind, but that's how it is. I mean, I also have similar experiences when I drive through my neighborhood and see a grandparent with kid with grandkids at our playground. That's always a moment for me where I go, oh, mom should be here yeah. doing that. Because your kids are uh, young. They're nine, six, and three, I think, right? Yeah, right. So my youngest was four months old when mom died. So when you see that creation that he made, she made for your daughter, the fairy house or whatever it is, you you see her, right? Yeah, I mean, she just was all in on grandparenting. Um, I mean, I really think she just sheer willed her way into every extra month because she just had arrived as a grandparent and lived to the fullest with her grandkids and wanted to be with them. So, yeah, I see her love for them. And I had really good relationships with my grandparents growing up. And I think a grandparent can show a child the type of unconditional love that is very like the father's, you know, just this delight that God has in us is something that a grandparent can convey. And so I try to tell the kids um, about mom's delight. I mean, she just had that. She just was childlike with them and delighted in who they were, who they are. Uh, So we could try to continue to rehearse that over them. And we actually did a story worth book. I don't know if you've heard of those, but where it helps the person write their memoir, basically one week at a time via email. And then you can print the book. And so we got that printed. I talk about that in the book, but um, I can tell them stories about her and, uh, you know, try to keep that memory alive for them. What a great gift. I have heard of that. And uh, 
it's a great it's a great way because it's you know to, to write about all your experiences it's such a daunting thing but if it's just one email one email a week you know answer this right. question here then it becomes more doable and then a few months down the road you you have well you've got a treasure there for yourself um i want you to talk with lolly in florida lolly why did you call today Hey there. Um, Thank you for having me on. Um, I experienced being a caregiver to my mom um, for four years. She had cancer and she had uh, Alzheimer's. So it was a double whammy. And she lived with me and she passed away about a year and a half ago. Um, it's, it's amazing what God can do. She, she and I did not have the perfect relationship as mother and daughter. Um, it was, it was a hard, you know, relationship, um, because, you know, mostly neglect and, and lack of affection throughout my life, but God redeemed that at the end. Um, because with Alzheimer's, it's bittersweet. She totally forgot, um, all of the, uh, I guess, you know, lack of, you know, lack of love for me. And, um, you know, as, as the Alzheimer's progressed, she became a whole different person. Um, I didn't think I had the strength to be her caregiver, um, because it was just, it was such a difficult mother-daughter relationship growing up all of my life. And God gave me that grace. It it took, um, also she, she having cancer surgery. And, uh, when we brought her home, I had to be the one to change her bandages and clean the bandages. And it was very difficult to do. Um, and the, I just kind of sat against, you know, the, the doorway door frame and thought, God, I can't do this. And, um, God actually, Jesus actually gave me a vision of himself superimposed over her as she laid in the bed waiting for me to change her, her bandages and just superimposed over her, hit her and looked at, you know, basically looking at me saying, would you do this for me? And I was moved to tears. And I thought, oh my Lord, of course I would do it for you. And then do, he basically was like, you know, moving my heart and saying, do it for her. And it gave me the strength to get through that very difficult time. And now, you know, towards the end, it was, she became the mother that I always wanted. And when she became that and she was all of a sudden gone. So it was mm-hmm. really hard, but with God's help, he got me through that. So leaning on God is huge when you have faith. And he I was going to ask you, uh, Lolly, I was going to ask you, when you said God redeemed it and she forgot, you know, the past, how did you move past the memories? And, and I think you just answered that. It was, it yeah. was his grace and mercy that kind of filled in the cracks, right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. He made her into the mom I'd always wanted all of my life in those, you know, little by little, you know, towards the end, it was just, he'd light up, uh, you know, when I come through the door, you know, when I was working and I come through the door and somebody else was taking care of her and she just, you know, outstretched her arms like, <gasps> and she didn't stretch out your arms. I'm like, Oh my Lord, I've always wanted her to, to do this, wow. to be that, you know, that way for me. And I got it finally in the end, but you know, it was, time for her to go home. I have to get Whitney's response to that. Whitney, what do you say? Well, Lolly, just what a good work you've done. Um, There's so many people doing that uh, unseen, really thankless work, especially as your loved one forgets you. Uh, It can be so 
so trying. And I do agree that it's a work that Jesus values deeply and that it's a way we can feel his love coursing through us that is so glorifying to him because we know it's not us. <laughs> we know this is beyond our capacity to do. And I did it for like five days. So I know yeah. that there are people who do it for years. I mean, my mom cared for her mom for years. My my grandmother died in 2018. My mom died in 2020. So, and that was through dementia and things like that. And so I looked to her example as I cared for her. Uh, you know, I I could see that all that she had done was out of out of love and this sense of returning the love that she'd received over a lifetime from her mother. But many people do the caregiving in, despite the love they haven't received from a parent. And they have to navigate that really carefully with, with other people who can care for them and can help them discern boundaries and other helpers. But also, it, I mean, it's costly. It's a costly love. And so I just want to say that you know, it's worth doing anyway. Um, it is a work that God will use to transform each of us uh, in the ways that he calls us to it. He will also equip us. I guarantee you, your call today, your story, Lolly, is being used in somebody else's life, even right now. It was right in the middle of that. Whitney Pipkin has written, We Shall All Be Changed, How Facing Death with Loved Ones Transforms Us. And you can find it. It's our featured resource. What a great resource it is. Just go to chrisfabrylive.org. Click through today's information right there, chrisfabrylive.org. More straight ahead on Moody Radio. Our remaining moments with Whitney Pipkin, who's written, We Shall All Be Changed, How Facing Death with Loved Ones Transforms Us. If you're not going through this right now, you will. And I'm sure you know somebody who is going through this roller coaster, this journey. Um, As I mentioned a little earlier, you quote a number of people. One is Walt Wongren. Uh, You quote from Letters from the Land of Cancer. And he talked about cancer as something, he didn't use the militaristic uh, verbiage. He didn't, this is not a fight that I'm against. He was more about, I've allowed this to visit and teach me what I could not learn any other way than had cancer not visited me. How do you fit that into uh, what your mom went through and what you've gone through? Yeah, I remember he also talked about it being the weather around me. <laughs> and that's true of our bodies are the weather around our souls. And there is no disentangling what you're experiencing from what you're feeling and what your day is like. I, I think he he really nailed it. And I I think seeing my mom and how much cancer drove the ship for her and, and for her days helps me to have a category for the ways that our our embodied living can also that God wants to work through the fact that he's given us bodies and that even though they're fallen and, and broken by sin in general, that he wants to draw near to us in our humanity. I mean, Christ came down as a human in a human form and he uh, wants to draw near to us in our physical weakness. Which takes us to Lazarus too. I mean, I just, 
John 11 is, is if you don't go there and look at and, and memorize that shortest verse, Jesus wept, you don't really see, you don't really know the depth of humanity of, of the Lord, right? Yeah, I mean, that's something that surprised me in grief was in the bottom of the, the pit. I mean, that story in John 11, Jesus' behavior is so surprising and shocking that he lingers and essentially lets Lazarus die. Uh, we get the sense that he could have come earlier and that Mary and Martha are convinced if he had, he wouldn't have died. If you had been here, my Lord, they say. And yet when he does come, he tells her, you know, one of his I am statements. He says it to this grieving sister. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he points that the thing that she needed more than her brother being saved from death was the source of life, uh, the source of resurrection, the one who would raise her brother from the dead. But he didn't tell her he would do that either. He just said, I am what you need in this moment. And I that became true in my own story too, that there was a way that Jesus met me in grief that is unlike any other way I've experienced um, and, and known him. Uh, the Bible talks about fellowshipping in the sufferings of Christ, and really he fellowships in ours. Um, he chose to know us in suffering and to take it on himself. And in that pit, to be held by God himself, uh, by Jesus Christ, is is the transform- transformative work, um, to be known and to trust in his enoughness in our weakness and in our sadness is what, I don't know, it's like the silver lining of of the hardest parts. Yeah. And we wouldn't know that. We wouldn't know the depth of the withness of God if we didn't go through this. We want some other way to you know feel that, of course, um, because there is this sense that even in— the, the grieving process in, in the church, there are those who will say, well, look, all your tears are going to be wiped away. You know where your mom is. There is this hope of heaven. But you feel the tension of the grief and the separation that you have, um, while others want to move us quickly from grief to embrace the truth of the hope of eternity. Talk about that tension. Yeah, I mean, even in that John 11 story, Jesus did not show up and raise Lazarus. He showed up, he listened, he wept, and then he lingered again. I mean, he he took his time. It's almost like he modeled, even though he would conquer death, he grieved it. He grieved that it was necessary, that it was reality. I, I don't know all of what he was feeling, but it's clear that there was a lot of emotion and that he entered well into what these sisters were feeling and that he entered fully into that human moment of grief. Um, and so even if our loved ones are, quote, in a better place, we aren't and we aren't with them and they aren't with us. And so there is time to grieve and it is fitting and appropriate and valuable to to grieve. And no one you know, I can't say how long that will take. I can't say what that will look like. It will probably be longer than we are comfortable with. But that discomfort, that brokenness is also a crack where God grows new things in us. And Mm. I don't know what that would be, but I would encourage people to wait for it, um, to sit in the pit and to know what it is for God to say, you don't need to perform. Um, My work on the cross was sufficient 
And I value this process of death so much that I took it on myself. Um, and that's, I don't know, that's what I would encourage people to just show up. I don't know what God's going to do, but that this process is valuable. It prepares us. You know, in systematic theology, Grudem says that, you know, God designed it so that we would not be saved and then sucked up to heaven. We are, we go through death. It's part of our preparation. It's part of our sanctification for heaven. And so we get to try that on with others when we walk with them. And I think we need to, to be prepared for our own. I think it really changes us and makes us want uh, what God wants for us in a, in a very visceral way. Julia said on Facebook, my husband passed away five years ago. I can really relate to Whitney's comment about the Vidalia onions. For me, it was the shampoo bottle in the shower. He would always turn the bottles upside down to get the last bit out of there. <laughs> and I would always turn them right side up. Shortly after he died, I went to the bathroom and noticed that my 18-year-old son had turned the bottles upside down. That was a moment for me. Very bittersweet. But I will have to say that God has proven, as always, to be faithful and gracious, even through the hard days. Thanks for your ministry, and uh, thanks for Whitney's ministry here today. Um, So how are you doing with this? Now, three years down the road, you've written the book about it. You're all good. Everything is fine. You're going to, is that that where you are? I am not where I was. And whoever's in grief, you will not be where you are right now forever. Um, I've learned, I think grief has hollowed me out in a way that's grown my capacity for joy too. Hmm. And so I'm in that sweet spot of watching what God has in mind with this book and with our own lives. And I'm ready to receive it. I would love to take the last call from your mom here today. We can't do that. (laughs) But one day, one day, Mm. I'm going to meet up and you two are going to be together and Mm. you're going to be laughing together and and talking about her story and filtered through your life and your story. Whitney, thanks for being honest and open with us today. Yeah, thanks so much, Chris. If you go to chrisfabrylive.org, you'll find out more about our featured resource by Whitney Pipkin. It's called We Shall All Be Changed, and you'll see the picture, that that gorgeous picture on the uh, the cover of the book, Ecclesiastes 7. It's better to go to a house of mourning than a house of feasting, since death is the end of every man, and the living should take this to heart. That's hard. That's a hard truth. But it's a truth that, as Whitney says, will transform if you allow it to. Again, if you go to chrisfabrylive.org, we have that book that's featured for you there. We shall all be changed. Isn't that good news? Chris Fabry Live is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.